Welcome to the 209 Journey Podcast. I'm your host, Luis Urbano, and in today's episode, I'm going to be interviewing Annie Di Grazia. She is the co-owner of Conchitas Truck, and if you haven't heard of them yet, go check them out. You can find them conchitastruck.com and also search them on social media. Really amazing concept that I'm really glad is now in the Central Valley, and they actually travel to different towns in the 209, so uh, they will likely be in your town sometime, so check them out on social media to find out uh, where the truck will be at each day. She is also a journalist who has worked for a lot of amazing places like Pepperdine University, Telemundo, ABC10, BBC Radio, among others. So I'm really excited to hear more about um, how her journalism work was like. And also, she is currently working for the California State Senate. So It'll be interesting to hear more about the work she does for them as well, especially as of recording. We actually just um, ended with elections not too long ago. So uh, great timing to be able to talk about um, government work there as well. Of course, we're going to talk about how the company got started with Conchitas LLC. And aside from the truck, there's also the storefront. So it'll be really interesting to hear more about both the different aspects of the business there today. But before we get started with today's episode, I want to invite everyone to check us out on social media. You can find the podcast at The 209 Journey on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Go ahead and give it a follow, please, so you find out each and every time I post a new episode. Also, if you haven't subscribed to the show yet, please hit that subscribe button wherever you're listening at, whether it's Spotify, Apple, Google, etc. There should be a way to follow the show. And with that, you should be able to get notifications when new episodes are posted. So that is the best way to do that. But right now I've been doing pretty good doing once a week episodes. I'm trying to keep it that way because it's always really great to have a schedule each week. And so right now I am posting episodes uh, Sunday nights. And so what better way to start your week than with a new 209 Journey podcast episode? And that is exactly what I'm going to try and do uh, moving forward now. So let's go ahead and get started with tonight's episode here on the 209 Journey Podcast. Welcome to the 209 Journey, Annie. How are you? Hey, I'm great. How are you? I'm doing good. Really um, interested in knowing more about all the work that you've done and, of course, Conchitas. But I'm going to save Conchitas more towards the end because I know that um, that'll be really interesting for everyone to hear and we'll have everyone stick along until, you know, we get to that point um, and talking about the, the truck and, and the bakery too and maybe exciting plans of the future that you want to share with everyone. <laughs> um, yeah, for sure. So I want to start my interviews as I typically like to start them. And I know you told me that you grew up in Sherlock. So tell us more about what it was like for you growing up there and just, uh, you know, all the changes that you've seen throughout these years. Yeah, absolutely. Turlock is a lot different than it was um, 30 years ago. And I could say even the last 10 years, there's been so much transformation and change. But I grew up on the west side of town. Um, I'm a Wakefield Wildcat, which if you're from the Central Valley or from Turlock, you know that uh, that's considered, you know, the more um, underserved community. So that's I grew up with my backyard being Columbia Park jumping the fence and going to Columbia pool is something that my friends did very regularly. And something that's also very nostalgic for me is Concha because there was always a pan dulce truck that would go drive around and 
and uh, sell conchas out of the back. So that's where I found, it fell in love with the pink conchas, <laughs> which started this whole lifelong journey of me figuring out how I was going to do something with conchas for the rest of my life because that was my favorite thing and still is. So yeah, just growing up in Chicago was really fun. I mean, riding bikes. I think I grew up to be a hustler there. It's so interesting on the West side. My parents had an orange tree in their backyard. They still do. They still live there. And I remember my sisters and I, we used to sling oranges to our neighbors <laughs> and just do like different things to make money. And, uh, you know, it was just really, really fun. And I, I have such amazing childhood memories. Definitely came with some rough memories as well, uh, which is why my friend Martha and I started Conchita's Truck, because we really wanted to give opportunity to kids in our community and encourage them to go to school and kind of be a mentor. So yeah, education is power. That's one thing I can say, which is the reason why I was able to to be so successful in my life. And same with Martha. I don't know if I can add anything else, but it's definitely an interesting life experience growing up in Turlock and then leaving was definitely culture shock. <laughs> but I'm glad that I was born there, that I was raised there. Um, I'm also glad that I left and decided to come back to the Central Valley because I gained so much life experience that a lot of my friends and family um, don't have. So in a different perspective, and I feel like that adds a lot of value to everything that I'm trying to do here. That's really awesome. You know, I've heard other people do as well, right? You kind of go out, you experience life elsewhere, and then you bring back some of those ideas here. And that's, that's how we help our Valley grow, right? Is through doing that and adopting things from other areas and whatnot. Mm -hmm. Well, when you mentioned the pan dulce and the truck, I mean, that brought me memories of my own childhood too. And seeing the truck, I mean, it even been the same one that just <laughs> drove around the different towns, but it, it was so awesome too. I mean, that's, that's how I fell in love with pan dulce too. It's just, you know, it's the <laughs> weekly visit of the truck and, yes. and the fresh bread. It's often the day old, which a lot of people don't know, but usually that truck has all the day old bread, but it's all good. <laughs> I Oh yeah, probably. Yeah. Yeah, but I remember the smell was so concentrated in that truck mm -hmm. that I felt like it was purpose. I mean, anytime I had the truck come by and they opened, right, and we all saw the bread, I don't know. I felt like I wanted to buy more from the truck than actually going to the store because it, <laughs> the smell was more concentrated there. So it's like, I don't know, you know, you know smell and senses. And, yeah, absolutely. You know, yeah. <laughs> uh, but, you but, have yeah. to walk in there conchita sometime and smell it pretty heavenly. <laughs> oh, I can imagine, right? When you're in the oven yeah. and yeah. Oof. Someone needs to do a a, a car smell that has like a coin totally. We're smell. working on it. We're working on an air freshener. So once we launch those, you can have one. <laughs> oh yeah. Oof. That, that, I definitely have one. Or I'd be buying a lot of pandals all the time. <laughs> like, you know, I also want to eat it, not just smell it, but um, yeah. that's that's awesome. Well, I know you have a lot of experience in the journalism field, and I have a couple of different things I want to talk to you about here um, in terms of your experience. So let's start with Rose Parade, since that's even you know going to be here in like less than two months. But tell us more about what it was like to be a, a reporter in, in such an iconic parade. Yeah, that was very, very long ago, probably close to, I don't know, it feels like 15 years ago, which I'm sure something along those lines. Uh, I was in college and it was really an incredible experience and it's the largest parade in the world, I believe. So I think I've, I've covered so many things since then that I vaguely remember it, but I remember it being really fun and so exciting. It's a beautiful, beautiful experience and I encourage everyone to go at least once in their life. But 
after I, I was a report, I um, was like a student reporter at Pepperdine, which is the university I went to in Malibu before going on and getting my first like on air job. And I know we talked about soccer and you love soccer. So <laughs> my in-between gig before going um, and getting that on air position was at Fox soccer in production before oh. becoming a full-time reporter. <laughs> I'm glad you mentioned that because as we record this, we're just days away from the world cup starting. So I, I, I want to know more about how was it being a production assistant that year, especially being a world cup year too, right in 2014. Yeah, it was super fun. It was exciting. Um, it was a lot of very, very early, early days <laughs> because you know, you're cutting and editing games from different parts of the world and um, picking out like the goals of the week different plays like highlight plays for the talent to to highlight in each show which was really exciting and it gave me a different perspective I've always loved soccer I'm Italian my dad played I played my husband was a professional soccer player so it's definitely a part of my culture and my family um so it was really really exciting and I loved it I loved every minute of it I do enjoy more of hard news um, investigative journalism, which is why I left sports, and it was just a very short-lived time. Because once I once I left Fox Soccer, I went straight to working full time in mainstream media, which was really an amazing experience. Yeah, with NBC in Telemundo and Bakersfield, and then in Sacramento, and then internationally with the BBC. Yeah, oh, that, that's that's really great experience all all over the place. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. But le- let's talk a little bit about Telemundo being such an iconic, um, you know, Spanish broadcasting channel. Like, how, how was it like being with them? And that was that your first job? That was like, my mm-hmm. first on air job. So I did a mm-hmm. couple. Like, I worked as a news assistant for in KCAL KCBS in LA, and then I did Fox Soccer, um, and then you know I did like college stuff which was the rose parade and some other things and i was at pepperdine at the public broadcasting station and then my first on-air paid news reporting job was with nbc and telemundo with their sister stations Hmm. so i would often do spanish or do some stories in spanish as well growing up in the central valley um i was able to learn spanish in elementary school not in immersion but just from growing up on the west side Um, my godparents are from mexico so i have a couple of different sets of godparents but my my godmother is from her family is from la concia la concepcion de jalisco and i have some like family like uh godparents that are from la noria michoacan and then my other godmother she's from hermosillo sonora so um and then i have a sister that her family's from durango so we have like a lot of different um parts of Mexico represented in my family, which has been really beautiful. And uh, I really enjoyed that. So I learned Spanish and um, just growing up on the West. So when I became a news reporter, it became very helpful and useful when I was working in Bakersfield. So I was able to cover things like I don't remember when the Zika outbreak happened. Mm. I remember I led all four newscasts. It was like the five o'clock and 530 in Spanish and then the six o'clock in English and then the 630 in Spanish. I remember how crazy it was doing like all four shows and it was all for Zika virus when it, cause it was a huge deal when it came out, when it was, when it first <clears throat> happened and because there was such a large Latino population going back and forth from Latin America. It was a huge story when I was working in Kern County. So that was really exciting to be able to do that before going to Sacramento and working just as an English, solely English reporter. Well, that that's really interesting having to go <laughs> back and forth and, and whatnot. Mm-hmm. So I feel like eventually I'd start speaking in Spanglish and being like, wait, which <laughs> one am I in? Am I in Spanish or English too? Because just doing all this. But 
how was like your very first day working uh, at that job being that it was your full-time job and you know you were just gonna basically just do this for for a while yeah it was 2013 so actually when i worked at fox soccer it was the year before the world cup i don't know i think it was 2013 um maybe it wasn't i don't know (sighs) i my first on-air job it was (laughs) nerve-wracking very scary because uh there's about a million people that are viewers for those two channels. So it was a lot of, of pressure, um, a very large coverage area, but it was really exciting. I'm, I'm glad that I had that experience. I feel very lucky to have worked in news and to really have fulfilled all of my dreams um, very young. And that was, yeah, it was really sweet. What does like the typical day look like for, for someone working like in the positions that you have? Any I think it changes or, depending or? on the market. So there's like, you know, roughly around 300 news markets in the US. That's just English markets. Spanish has their own ranking system. And so my first job on air was in a middle market. It's like, I think market 120 something. Uh, so it was a really good place to like break in and break out as a reporter. I was on major stories, like a 17 day manhunt covering crazy wildfires and um, you know, it was very long hours, very hard work. Um, you're often very underpaid. Um, and I don't think a lot of people understand that when it comes to news. I think it's a very glamorous job. There's a lot of criticism. But um, for reporters that are actually out in the field today, you know, a lot of them are writing, shooting and editing all their own stuff and they're going live. And it's it's a very, very um, taxing job on your body. Uh, so if I can say anything, I think that that was probably, it was, it's extremely hard work. It's extreme hard work. Sorry. Um, but it is rewarding when you get to tell stories that you feel like are actually making a difference in the community, which is really beautiful. It's such an amazing tool. And then working in news in Sacramento, that's a top 20 news market in the U.S. So um, obviously it came with a lot more. It came with a higher salary and a lot more um, resources. You know, I would often go, I would hardly ever be by myself. Occasionally, but you know, I often got a photographer that would be with me and we'd be writing and shooting and editing together and going live together. But yeah. Oh, well, interesting insights because yeah, you're right. Everyone just looking at it from the outside, you you tend to think, oh, you probably just report and then you pass it on to someone else who does all the editing, who does everything else. And <laughs> you, you're just as you get there. higher and higher in markets, yeah. But mm. like in smaller markets, not as much. In Sacramento, they're starting to change it a lot more, though, because of the the lack of funding. That there's a lot more MMJs, which is what it's a multimedia journalist, someone that writes, shoots, and edits all their own stuff. They're field reporters. Yeah, you're getting more and more people that are just doing everything. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's really interesting because it. I mean, it just mm-hmm. means that everyone's skill set has to be even more broad, right? Because mm-hmm. you have to learn how to edit and do other things. That you're doing normally, five jobs. You know, yeah, it's crazy. Well. Well, and some of them are making like $30,000, $28,000 a year. And they're college educated. I mean, I went to Pepperdine and my first job, I was making like 28000 as a reporter. And I was working like crazy hours and I'm doing everything. It's it's really insane. Not enough people talk about like the life of being a news reporter. It's 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 very interesting. But you do it because you love it. And then you mm-hmm. do it until you can't do it anymore. And like, that's just kind of the way that it works. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's yeah, that's understandable. So, <laughs> g- going from Telemundo to ABC, having such a jump, uh, how how was that like for you? Like adjusting to, um, like you said, different things that you would do in Telemundo that you don't have to do at ABC. 
Well, working for NBC and Telemundo, so I, I was mainly an English reporter and I would do the crossover sometimes, like I mentioned, like with Zika virus and some other big stories. But obviously I'm, I'm jumping over a hundred markets. So that was a big career jump. And obviously like covering the state's capital, which is a really big deal being on TV with like my home station. I had been offered a job at the CBS affiliate and at the ABC affiliate. I ended up taking the ABC job because... At the time, my favorite news reporter, my favorite anchors, Dale and Christina, were the main anchors. Of so I really wanted to be mentored by them. I really wanted to work with them. I mean, Christina is from the Central Valley, which is, she was my idol growing up. So being able to watch her on TV as a kid, every single 11 o'clock newscast with my dad, and then being able to then go and like work alongside of her in studio was a dream come true. I mean, it was an absolute incredible experience. I felt so lucky um, to be there and I signed a three-year contract. I ended up leaving my contract early um, and then going and working abroad, but it was an amazing experience. Well, well, that's really awesome being able to work alongside people you admire in your industry and then, you know, at least getting to say that, that you... You're there. Yeah. That's got to be a like surreal moment, right? Being like, oh, you know, I cried (laughs) the first day and I remember telling them and it's really sweet because I still have a really good relationship with Christina and Dale, like whenever I can see them or mostly communication on social media, but it was great to be able to be around them around such amazing journalists during that time. So like you mentioned, you went abroad after uh, being there too. How, How was that? How like, I guess, yeah, I took a job out, as yeah. media liaison in college. Mm-hmm. I was an in international studies and journalism major. I, my focus was the Arab-Israeli conflict. So I always wanted to work as a war correspondent. Um, and I was a little burnt out after the Trump. Admi- like this was in the midst of me leaving Channel 10 was in the midst of Trump campaigning for president. And then, mm-hmm. or no, it was Trump. No, he had already won. So, so it was Trump. It was into Trump's presidency. And I remember covering... I think it was a rally like getting spit at and like being called fake news mm-hmm. and it was very wearing on and then just being berated on social media um just for simply doing my job and it was very exhausting and um as thick of skin i i have i have very thick skin it eventually wears on your mental health especially when you feel like you're not getting paid enough to do this like you're not getting paid enough to get mistreated this way and this isn't what you got into this industry for and so I'd have to give myself pep talks all the time. And then finally, like this opportunity presented itself in Moria camp, which is at the time the worst refugee camp in Europe. And I wanted to go abroad. I've always wanted to work in the, within the capacity of the, re- like cover the refugee crisis, cover my mass migration and kind of like dive into that. And so I was presented this opportunity to become a media liaison for a nonprofit so I moved, I shaved my head, and then I moved and um, I never looked back. And while I was there, um, within like two weeks of being there, I had already called one of my friends that was a photographer with me in in Sacramento, Notice. And I said, hey, bro, if I pay for you to come out here, will you shoot an undercover documentary with me? Um, there's all these crimes against humanity that are happening. There's a bunch of horrible things that are happening when people are crossing over Turkey um, and we need to document it. So we documented it. We, I snuck him in. We later snuck in a drone operator. This was a military base. So everything we did was illegal. So we shot it undercover. We did get arrested one time and we got caught. Um, but we got, we got out and everything was okay. We got 
had tons of crazy stories. I mean, I could go on and on about all the crazy stuff. I got punched by a Nazi, like broke my thumb. We have footage of it. It's like crazy stuff happened when we were there. Um, as you can imagine, like it's, it was horrific conditions. Like at the time there was over 10,000 people living in a space meant for like 2000. There wasn't consistent running water. There was no hot water. There wasn't bathrooms. Like there was just feces everywhere. It was just horrible. So we finally, because of COVID, there was like a complete halt on our documentary because we weren't able to interview any like elected officials or anything like that. So it was pretty tough on us. Um, But the documentary itself is, is nearly done. Notice is putting the final touches on it. So now it's like a five part series, but that was life changing work. And after I did that, I was approached by BBC radio to work as an investigative journalist, um, looking into, it was a serial killer. Um, his name was Silas doing Boston. We ended up doing a eight month long investigation it's called Paradise. You can listen to it on Apple Music, Spotify. It's Paradise, BBC Sounds, BBC Radio. We won a bunch of awards for it. Amazing experience. But I think what always stuck with me was like my work that I did independently as a journalist, like with my documentary film with Asylum Seekers. And that made it so hard for me to ever go back to local news, which is why I never did. So I just think that there's so much power in storytelling and there's so much power in storytelling when you can use solution-based journalism. So you're giving people an issue or a topic, and then you're also providing them solutions to create change. And you're not always given that when you're working in local news, you don't have enough time. So I think I just wanted to get away from that run-of-the-mill quick stories, daily turns, and start to transition more into long-form storytelling which I did. I did that with BBC and I'm now doing it with my documentary. And then we also shot like another short after Nipsey Hustle died that we still need to finish, um, which was really cool. So yeah, I don't know. Here we are. And then now I work in government. I don't know. It's like, I don't know. It's kind of <laughs> anticlimactic, but I, when I worked in news, I was able to, I won two TV Emmy awards. I won an Edward R. Murrow and then Working with BBC, I won a couple of like the British Podcasting Gold Award. And then we we won like a radio, New York Radio Film Festival Award, which was really cool. So, but none of that stuff matters to me. I think like the real incredible change happens when you can tell stories like I was able to tell with Asylum Seekers. Yeah, the gap probably in my resume comes like uh, for a year, I traveled all over the world talking about the refugee crisis. I was invited to speak couple universities. Um, my colleague and I, we spoke in Poland at a human rights convention. So, yeah. Well, well, that, that's really amazing work. And yeah, I mean, All literally night place. and day going from local to, to like just a, a major thing that's going to be seen by everyone worldwide. And, you know, a documentary that sounds like it'll be really like impactful to everyone in the world. Right. I mean, this is, these are things that everyone is is seen and you know a lot of things that people aren't aware of right going on right because like you said local news coverage they might just like do one thing on one thing but it's another thing when you actually go and do all this investigation and you know turn it into this documentary that's like really well detailed and like you said just going through <laughs> all the things that you guys had to go through to to get that is is really admirable all, all that you guys went through so yeah. can't wait to see that <laughs> Mm-hmm. Hopefully by the end of this year. 
<laughs> where is it going to be um like streamed on or like well where, where, will we be able to actually watch it yeah we want to do like we're pitching it to other streaming platforms so like pretty much everyone but amazon prime seems like it's probably the most likely yeah yeah that one would be a pretty good one i feel like Almost all of us have a Prime account, right? So we all <laughs> we could all yeah. watch that versus the other ones. It's it's a little little different. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure you've been like trying to distribute it too. That's probably a really really good one to to go mm-hmm. with. Before we get to Conchitas, uh, I know you mentioned it already a little bit, but I want to get to your government work and how the transition happened from one thing to doing government yeah. work. How was that? <laughs> yeah, so I had wrapped up my project at the BBC and I was just like applying to other work. I just wasn't feeling like local news. Um, I was looking for more long-term storytelling positions, but there really wasn't anything. And this position popped up to become the communications director for then Senator Holly, Holly J. Mitchell. And um, I never wanted to go into the political space because as a journalist, it was like I was selling out. But Holly was always my exception to the rule. I had covered her before. And she was truly the only elected that I believed in every single thing that she did which I feel like is very rare. You know, it's very hard for us to find someone that we're politically aligned with in every single mm. regard. So Holly had just done, well, Senator, then Senator Mitchell had just done incredible work with equity and justice and um, just changing the way that people are incarcerated here in the state of California, which was transformational. And she's also done incredible work when it comes to foster youth, foster children. And at the time, she was working on incredible bills that had to do with implicit bias um, for women that are pregnant, uh, women of color, as well as like hair discrimination bills. So she authored the Crown Act. And so I was able to do a lot of the messaging, which was amazing for me and being able to speech write for her and being able to, you know, put together an amazing strategic communications plan for her and implement it and see it come to fruition And the incredible coverage that we got for all of her legislation was incredible. And it was an amazing learning experience. I feel so lucky that I was able to work with a woman that is so powerful, that truly changes the world every single day. Uh, And I haven't haven't, um, seen any other electeds that move and operate like she does. So when she left the legislature... I stayed, you know, it was in the middle of COVID. Um, She went down back down to LA and she's now a county supervisor. And uh, I stayed and now I'm a consultant with the Senate Democratic Caucus, which means I help offices with best communications practices, people that had my former position and like, you know, if they need any help with op-ed speeches, media contacts, getting, you know, press releases together, doing anything like that. I help them with that. So it's been cool. Yeah, that that sounds really interesting. I'm sure you probably just got from a really busy season, right? Super busy. I'm exhausted. <laughs> um, but, but thankfully, that's that's all all in the past now. It doesn't stop. <laughs> oh, oh yeah, yeah. Plan on on the next one, right? <laughs> um, but yeah, it is a lot of hard work. I mean, I've heard it from a lot of people um, working in government. So hats off to all y'all who who do that work. Okay. <laughs> hey. uh, well, I want to get a Conchitas because that that's something that I think a lot of people listening uh, might be aware of too, especially as you guys have done a really good job with the social media. So I Thank don't know you. who, yeah, who manages crazy. that, but good, yeah. good job. <laughs> so walk us through what, what the story was for, for Conchitas. Like I mentioned, I've always loved Conchas. 
And um, I've kind of been a weirdo when it comes to conchas. Uh, probably for about like the last 12 years, my family members would always buy me like concha tchotchke things like keychains and purses and backpacks and blankets and towels. And I have like three pairs of the slippers because everyone keeps sending me them and everyone keeps buying them for me. And they're like, I'm always telling people like, I already have them. I People forward the ad to me like on a weekly basis. Um, shirts. I have so many of the same t-shirts and I love all my family and friends. And if they listen to this, I love you guys, but stop buying me concha stuff because it's like, I have everything now. There's nothing I don't have. And when I was living in LA, I would went to this event called concha con. And it was like, I was in heaven. I went with one of my really good friends, Vanessa. And it's so funny because every newsroom I've worked in, like I've always brought conchas, like instead of donuts, cause I just love them. And my friend Vanessa, she was my, she was the assignment editor at channel 10 when I was there. And I brought in conchas. It was like my first week. And she was like, Annie, you had me at Bandulce. And I was like, okay. And we became inseparable. And we went to this concha con event together. And um, I remember I tried a concha ice cream sandwich there. And I'm like, okay, there is nothing like this in the Central Valley. I have to do something. And my friend Martha, I had brought it up to her. I was like, hey, I really want to do like conchas and concha ice cream sandwiches because I had them in LA. They're amazing. Like we need to bring this here. And she's like, well, I wanted to do something with ice cream. And I'm like, cool. I'm like, I already have the name conchitas with the concha O. And like, I wanted it to be, I thought it would be really cute. Conchitas truck. Uh, And I had like the millennial pink in mind because we're millennials. Um, So it's like, got to have that like obnoxious millennial pink because that's on brand for our generation. And then, you know, like having local, local artists here. So Brita, Brita Kahlo, she um, grew up on the West side of Turlock and I wanted to empower her and have her design our menu and design our logo and design everything. And so I gave her the idea. I said, I want conchitas with the concha O and I want loteria cards, but I want you to do our menu items. And so I do like the drink recipes, um, like the mazepan, like that was our number. That's our number one selling item that and the concha ice cream sandwich. But when we first got started, Martha and I would go in her barn and we just like test and I would drive at the time I was living in Sacramento. I drive from Sacramento and we do like recipes inside of her house and like try things out, see what works. Um, I have a coffee background because all through college I worked at Starbucks. So uh, I've always loved coffee. I've always been a fiend. So it's been easy for me to like make up these recipes. And I had tried some ice cream at a local ice cream shop in Sac. And I'm like, where do you guys get your ice cream? Connected with the ice cream shop and uh, the ice cream creamery in Berkeley. So they started doing our ice cream flavors for us. So like horchata, dulce de leche, strawberry, vegan Mexican hot chocolate. Like all this comes from our ice cream shop um, in Berkeley. And we were able to, we were originally working with a roaster in Sacramento, but I really want this to be like very femme based. So I want like mostly women to be to mostly work with female, like female owned businesses. And so the first female coffee roaster in the United States is in Modesto. You should interview her. Her name's Gretchen. And so we started buying her coffee instead. So now we have local coffee. We're trying to make everything hyper local to the central part of California. So long story short, that's kind of like the beginning stages of Conchita's truck. And that's where we're at. Vertical integration is really important to me. And when I think I... I like, I'm very visual and I'm 
like, I think it's probably sounds a little um, egotistical to call myself a visionary, but I get very visual, vivid dreams of like the way things are supposed to be and like how expansion's going to look. And so um, my vision for this business is to take over every aspect of the business, right? So I have Conchita's truck. Martha and I have started that together, which is our storefront too. And then for expansion for me was I really wanted to own the the panaderia part of it, like have the pan being directly sourced from Conchita's Bakehouse, which is a separate business. So we just started that and opened that. And that's what's operating out of the baking space. Um, So basically Conchita's Bakehouse sells the bread to Conchita's truck. Does that make sense? So yeah. yeah. And so then the next step is going to be taking over either the coffee or the ice cream arm. And then it will be like the real estate arm. And then it will be, you know, just kind of taking over all of it. So then every Concha ice cream sandwich, I'm making like money off of it five times, right? Instead of getting it all from other people, instead of outsourcing, making sure everything's internal. So the first step was taking over the bread side. So we've now done that and we're executing it beautifully. Like we have such incredible flavors. Like I traveled to Mexico city a lot. Like last year I was there three times, constantly trying to get new ideas, new, um, innovative things. Uh, my friend, she owns Concha Inata in Mexico City. So seeing what she's doing, all the cool stuff she's doing and like getting ideas, really just trying everything. I'm such a foodie, like I travel for food. So I'll drive long distances just to try a pastry or something that maybe I can make a spin on it and try to do a version of it in a concha. So like, for example, the make- maple bacon conchas came to me because I love maple bacon donuts. Hmm. And so I also love, San- I love um, Santa's conchas in Mexico City. They do an amazing concha torta. So I'm like, how can I do a concha breakfast sandwich with our maple bacon concha? So now we do like cheddar cheese, egg, bacon with a maple bacon concha. It's like a McGriddle on crack. So just coming up with all these cool things to make sure it's still within the brand of like Mexican centric, but like a spin on traditional pan dulce so that it's, I guess, modern and cool and hip and different, which sets us apart because there's a ton of panaderias here. So how are we going to be different? They definitely are really unique. I mean, I've gone to so many panaderias throughout the 209 and I've never seen any panaderia like go outside the box, right? I mean, usually everyone just sticks to the typical concha and doesn't really do too much more with it. But I've always felt like you could do more with it. So it's really nice to see that you guys are doing that and that you're, you know, setting setting new standards for the concha, right? (laughs) Yeah, we do like really cool monte conchas, like concha cupcakes. We do minis. Um, We have so many filled flavors and so many flavored tops. Like it's almost excessive. But the crazy thing is, is the community has been so amazing. Usually we sell out at noon. We rebake again, like a partial batch, but by three, it's like slim pickings in here. I get up and I tell you like how many we have left. We have hardly anything. So it's been wonderful. And we haven't done any marketing yet. Um, This is just from the power of Instagram. And you know, I love social media. That's always been my jam. So it's it's been a lot of fun for me. I love doing reels. I love doing funny videos. I love making people laugh. I love all of our funny sayings that we have at Conchitas, like like a concha day keeps la llorona away. <laughs> like I think it's so funny and it like makes people laugh. And that's the best thing about it. And I remember when Martha and I first did an interview for the Modesto B, I said like I really want people to feel Disneyland when they come to Conchitas. Like Disneyland is so far from us and we don't have like a lot of fun places and people always complain about living in the Central Valley. It's like, 
how can we make this fun? How can we make people feel a little joy and a little Disneyland in the middle of Modesto? Like come to Conchitas, everything's pink. Like you're not going to be mad when you walk in. It's really hard to like be angry inside of Conchitas. <laughs> Especially, I mean, just smelling. I mean, you don't even have to like eat quite yet, right? Just getting there, smelling the fresh bundles. It that's <laughs> that puts a smile already on your mouth without even like eating yet, right? As you're waiting to get your order. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> um, well, yeah, that that's really awesome. So, how many people work for Conchitas currently? How has that evolved? Yeah, so for the bakehouse, we have two full bakers and a an intern. And so that's my business on the side. And then Martha and I have the Conchitas truck, which is our retail side. We have um our full-time Amaris Toledo. She's holding it down. She's she's amazing. She's helped tremendously, um, especially in the mornings when I'm working. And then we have Mercedes, she's here in the evenings. We have Floor, who's a floater. And then on the weekends, um, we have Xavier, uh, who works the trailer as well, and then some other floaters. So probably anywhere between like four or five people that we have. Um, And occasionally our guy, Dave, he'll drive for us when Martha and I can't. Um, And then Martha and I work the truck sometimes too. Uh, So we, you know, make our rounds and we do what we can. Oh, well, that's really awesome for all the work that you guys do. That's really impressive. So I know you you mentioned you're a visionary too, and I think that's really awesome that you're looking towards the future. But what what would your next step be? Do you think you might end up getting another truck, or do you see yourself like having another storefront, or what? What do you see? Yeah, um, I can't share too much because we do have uh-huh. some things in the works right now. But I think the original idea of like creating conchitas was to also give opportunity to other people because community is really important to me. And like my community of the West side, super important to me where I was born and raised and like seeing kids that didn't have the same equal opportunity as me, um, making sure to elevate their children and give them something to work towards. And so whether that be a job at Guanchitas or maybe one day being able to franchise so that they can own their own business. That's super important to me. And so I had this idea of like franchising the trailer for women, refugees, undocumented people, people of color that wanted to have their own business and to basically be able to create like a copy paste. So like anyone could come in, we've already worked out the details. You just come in and you get your own trailer or you get your own brick and mortar and you just come up with whatever, I don't know, and you manage it and you own it and you have that sense of like responsibility, which would be really, really cool. And I know that's further down the line. Um, that's the the plan and the goal it's to be the, the, what is it? Crumble cookie of conchas. <laughs> oh. <laughs> hey, you know, I feel like that that's a really great goal. And what I always tell people is that, I mean, they started somewhere, right? At one point, they were they were like a small business that just had one location, right? And then in a few years, they just like expanded all over the place, right? So yeah, yeah, and especially a concept so unique like Conchitas too, I, I could see it. I mean, all throughout the Central Valley, there's so many great cities that, you know, could could use a, a, a more unique pan dulce spot. I'd say <laughs> I do want to end it as I usually like to end the shows and asking you if you have any advice for people who, in your case, like would want to be a reporter like you. And also for those who would want to be um, an entrepreneur and start a business that also helps the community just as you have. For someone that 
like myself who, you know, didn't want to do something conventional. I mean, there's only so many, so many people like that are actually TV reporters and there's only so many people that can make it as an entrepreneur, but it's so important not to listen to, to all of the naysayers and to just do it. I feel like if I listened to everyone, including family that told me that it wasn't a good idea or that I was crazy or the statistic of people that end up on TV or the statistic of businesses that fail within their first year for six months, if I listened, then I would have never done anything that I've done. And I'm just, I really encourage, you know, young people, anyone, it doesn't matter how old you are, like, don't listen, just do, do what you think you're supposed to do because forever you'll live your life in regret. Like what if I could have, or what if I did? And so put those earmuffs on and just grind it out, do it. It's not easy. None of the things that I've done have been easy. It's been extremely difficult, but I would do it all over again, every single, every single one, every single time. Um, because it's made me who I am and it's brought me to this point where I've been very, very lucky and very successful. And so I encourage everyone to just keep going. Don't listen to the naysayers, do you, and, um, you'll find success. And you know what, if you don't, at least you tried. Yeah, that's really well said. Cause I think everyone gets so into like, I don't know if this is going to work out or not. And, and then, like you said, you just end up not doing anything and, and reflecting back years later. Right. But then it's like, you kind of miss your analysis paralysis. Yeah. <laughs> that's it's that's so good. true. Um, awesome. Well, thank you so much for being on tonight. I mean, this is really awesome. Definitely let us know more about how Conchitas does and, you know, uh, where, where people can follow them to as well. Can you share your socials and the website? Yeah, and so um, Conchitas.truck uh, is our Instagram handle, I believe. And then our website's just www.conchitastruck.com. Um, that's super, we have everything on there and you can follow us. And it's super helpful, I guess, if you want to get to know Martha and I more and just like our story of our friendship, we've been friends for 25 years. So it's very interesting. Mm -hmm. And, you know, Martha has her own career path and she's had a lot of interesting ventures that she's worked on. So she'd be a really good person to talk to too. So, yeah. Awesome. Well, Thank you so much for being on here tonight. Best of luck. I'll definitely be stopping by the truck. I know I haven't been there. I mean, the I've seen it so front. much. But, and the storefront too. I, I need to get, go there and get some conchas and, you know, let me know whenever that um, car freshener is released because uh, I definitely want, want one for, for my car. <laughs> well, for sure. Once again, thank you so much to Annie for being on the show today. It was really awesome being able to hear all the work she's done. I mean, she has really done a lot of amazing work, both you know, in journalism and in the business that she's currently running. It's really impressive. And I always find it really admirable when you come back to the Central Valley and either start a business or just bring ideas from other places and as I mentioned earlier, that that is the way that we help grow our valley and we help bring new ideas or ideas that might be elsewhere. And so it, it is really impressive, all the work that she's done and that she's been able to bring back to her business. And I can't wait to try Conchita's truck. If you haven't tried them yet, please, again, visit them. You could visit their website, conchitastruck.com and see all the offerings that they have in their menu and that they truly have a wide variety of different style of conchas and 
different drinks and you know what we are right now in a perfect time to get those hot chocolates and be able to really immerse yourself in the holiday season with uh, some freshly made pan dulce and their conchas really do stand out from all the other ones that are out there and i gotta say every time i see them on instagram i'm always <laughs> wanting to go but haven't had the time to be able to go yet but definitely when i do go i'll be sharing that on our social media too and letting all y'all know what was my first concha style that I ended up getting to, as well as what drink I I went with too, which lots of good options, really, really great stuff. And if you do DoorDash, Uber Eats, Grubhub, anything like that too, they also do have that as an option as well. So, and then they also do catering as well. So if there are any events that are going on, if you're uh, celebrating the holiday season with some family gatherings, parties, what better way than have a concha from their truck, especially um, a freshly made concha um, at your next gathering. So again, check them out. You can find them uh, at the website conchitastruck.com and then on Instagram at conchitas.truck. Thank you so much to everyone for listening to the show tonight. Once again, I invite you to follow us on social media at the 209 Journey and tell a friend about the show. Uh, let me know if you have a guest from the 209 or someone who moved to the 209 that has a story to tell. I would really appreciate that. Send a message to the social media pages if you do. And, you know, we'll, we'll look into having them here on the show as well. well. Everyone have a great night and we'll see you next week here on the 209 Journey podcast.